0: Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship Romans chapter 8 if God is for us who can be against us Uh, most of us can grasp the idea or the concept of a way of life for instance if somebody aspires to be a doctor you know that you're going to need to go to college and then you're going to have to go to medical school you're going to have to do an internship, and then you're going to probably have to choose a specialty, and after years of living a certain way, eventually you will arrive at becoming a medical doctor. If someone wants to become a tradesman, a plumber, or an electrician, there is a way of life associated with being a tradesman. You start with trade school and then you apprentice for quite a few years with an, with an expert in the field. And then you may join a union in some cases. But after several years in a lifestyle, you can become a licensed plumber or a licensed electrician. If someone wants to be a musician, you may have some raw natural talent, but it's going to involve training and lots and lots and lots and lots of practice. If you want to become a musician, but you don't practice, you probably won't get very far, will you? If you, do not comp- if you want to become a tradesman, but you do not com- co- complete the lifestyle of a tradesman, you'll never become a licensed electrician or a licensed plumber. And if you don't complete the years of training that it takes to become a physician, nobody will ever call you doctor or come to you for medical care or if they do they shouldn't <laughs> we understand the desire the cost and the benefits of choosing a lifestyle so here we are in the second of our new second week of our new series entitled if god is for us and we're studying our way through romans chapter 8 where the apostle paul who is a very prominent leader and teacher of the christian faith considers And when Paul, as a leader, considers humanity as a whole, he divides all of humanity into two lifestyles in our passage, those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. The flesh, as he uses it here, is the default mode of all humanity, okay, And when he uses the term the flesh here, he's not simply referring to existing in a physical body, although that may be part of it. He's talking about a way of life, a way of life that is limited to the simply the mortal dimension. It is a life that is purely human apart from God. It is a life lived without God in the world. Today, this would include both religious and non-religious people. There are many today who feel that they, they do not have a genuine need for God in their life, and, and they're, they view God as an invention of humanity to try to cope with the unknowns in the questions of life that we struggle with. And Paul would say, yes, those people are living in the flesh because they, they deny God that exists. But Paul also considered religious people to be in the flesh. He considered himself to be in the flesh at times. And this is a person who wants to do good. They may even understand the commands of God. They may even think God's commands are good, but a person in the flesh knows God's commands are good, but, often, but they don't keep them. They disobey God. Sometimes they do so unaware, sometimes they do so quite willingly, and they find themselves unable to keep God's commands. We don't desire what God wants for us. And we, even though we talk about these things, uh, when Paul speaks about living in the flesh, he's talking about those, who he, there, there are some who are, are more moral than, than, than us in church here. And when he talks about the flesh, he's not talking about being moral or, or being immoral necessarily. He was a highly religious rabbi of the strictest conservative sect of Judaism known as Phariseeism. He had a very, very, very high view of God's law and of what is morally good. And he aspired as a rabbi to be morally good. And there are people who do not bow their knees before God that are incredibly moral. They are more moral than some… There are people who are more moral than me, but don't call Christ their Savior there are some people who are more generous than me. There are people who treat people better than me, but they don't do so out of love for God's grace and mercy, but out of a sense of a high personal duty. And you see, God's law is good. It's not bad. It's right. It's not wrong. And when you keep the law, you are morally better than someone who does not keep the law. But as a religious person, Paul aspired to the law, but as an honest person, he acknowledged that he falls shell short of the law, and he finds in himself a condition that is hopeless and condemning. And when we break God's commands we find ourselves judged by God's commands. And if God were to deny His commands, He Himself would be morally corrupt and therefore no good. But if God is true to His commands, then we fall guilty before them and He should justly judge us because of our violation And all of us find ourselves living in the condition which Paul calls according to the flesh. He speaks of it as a mindset, a mindset that believes in myself before God. It's a mindset that comes sometimes says, I'll keep trying. I knew I fell short, but I'll just do better next time. Or it could be the mindset that says, I quit I don't want to try. I will ignore what God wants and do my own way of life. Both the religious and the irreligious, both the moral and the immoral, live according to the flesh, according to Paul. And Paul refers, and he goes on to say that the flesh leads to death. In part, because we will all die, that's part of it. But the other part is that we will we run the risk of dying without God separated from God, alienated from God, with no hope for a better future beyond the pleasures or the struggles of this life. And nobody keeps it all because we live according to the flesh. Nobody measures up because we live according to the flesh. Faith is not a ladder that we climb in order to get God by trying harder. Verse 8, which we read together, kind of a depressing verse, but here it is. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we all live in the flesh, and, the, and that's the end of the story, every single person finds himself or herself unable to please God. That is hopeless. That is death. Death. That is is the flesh, and we need a new life, but we are unable. Do you see, have you felt, can you identify with the predicament that Paul describes here when he talks about living in the flesh? Really, it means two things. It means, number one, to be guilty. We're condemned by the law of God because we fail to keep it and fail to want to keep it. And secondly, we are powerless. Not only do we not keep the law because we don't want to, but we're unable to keep God's law. And this is not the fault of God that we are unable, but it's the fault of our own diseased souls. And we do not and we cannot obey the God who made us. And as we read in our call to worship, God knows this about us. God sees this about us. He sees our fickle and sometimes unbelieving hearts. He sees our doubt. He sees the weakness of our desires for Him and our stronger desires for other than Him. He sees it all. He has told us what real life looks like, but we not only don't want it, but we're unable to obtain it. And what's encouraging to me at this point in the game and what's encouraging to us is that God knows this and sees about the, all this about us. And instead of walking away and flushing the entire creation down the toilet in disgust, He instead provides a way for us to receive a new life. And Paul calls this new life, life in the Spirit. And what we're going to see today is how God provides that new life and what that new life is shaped like, all right? So, will you look with me again at verses 3 and 4, which we read together? He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When a person who lives in the flesh meets the law of God, we are confronted with our inability and we're confronted with our failure, and God knows. So, what God does for us is what He knew that we could not do for ourselves. He Himself sends His own Son. He Himself comes and in, enters into human flesh, Jesus Christ, God and man joined inextricably together forever. And Jesus experienced all the weaknesses of humanity, and yet as He experienced all the weaknesses which we experience, He was not compromised morally or spiritually in His relationship with God. He does the entire will of God. He keeps the law of God every day of His life. And he was the only man who was never guilty of breaking the law of God. And it was this that qualified him to serve as our sacrificial substitute on the cross. He was not just a martyr executed by Israel or executed by Rome for crimes against the nation. Jesus died as a sacrifice, what the Bible calls for an atonement. His life was offered to atone for, to pay for, to cover over as a substitute for our judgment. The judgment that we deserved for our disobedience to the law of God, for the guilt of our flesh, that was poured out upon Jesus on the cross so that God condemned our sin when He condemned His Son to die, and in so doing, God condemned sin. And our sentence was placed upon Jesus so that our judgment would pass on to Him. And when a person turns to Jesus in repentance, they receive what Jesus has done and find that our sin was placed upon Him and we are set free. Free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from shame, free from death, we are no longer alienated from God because all of the burden of sin that alienated us from God has been lifted. And we are accepted in Jesus. We are accepted not because we try so hard, because we're moral immoral, religious, or irreligious, we are accepted because we believe that Jesus died for us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And God Himself steps in for the guilt of our flesh and removes all condemnation that separated us from love, God's love. And God looks on us in our helplessness, in our hopelessness, and our powerlessness, and He has compassion by providing Himself what we could not obtain, freedom from the burden and guilt of condemnation. And what Jesus did on the cross was once and for all, He cancels the debt of all our sin, past, present, and future. Jesus doesn't have to come back and die on the cross again for the sins that I will commit tomorrow. Rather, when you and I believe we receive the full benefit of our canceled debt, and we are free. We cannot add to it, and we cannot take away from it. When our guilt is canceled, it is paid. We prayed, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, if, if, if you struggle financially, and you, you find yourself in debt, and you, you come to me for help, and you say, Bill, I've, I've fallen behind on my bills. I'm really, really struggling to make ends meet. They're getting ready to shut off my electricity. Do you think you could help me? Right? And I say, you know, I can help you. How much is that, Bill? Here you go. How does anybody respond to a graceful act of having helping you alleviate your debt with thanksgiving with joy with happiness you have set me free when my guilt and my debt is paid it's canceled jesus paid our debt by dying on the cross for the penalty of our sins the debt is paid and we are free and that is why paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus which we looked at last week if you are in christ jesus your debt is canceled you are accepted in the beloved now going back to to me helping you with your electric bill so i i paid it off and you're square with the electric company. They're not going to shut your power off, right? But suppose that you continue to struggle with your bills next month. It's not just that you are in debt, but you find yourself powerless to get out of debt, and that's what living in the flesh is like. We are indebted, and we are powerless, but not in Christ. Look at the shape of this new life in verses 4 through 8. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here we find that not only has God dealt with the guilt of our flesh, but now he also helps us against the powerlessness of our flesh. He gives us the Holy Spirit. God the Father and God the Son send God the Spirit into our lives, whereas before we lacked the strength to obey God and we were crippled by guilt. Now the guilt is taken away, and we have a new life, life in the Spirit who lives within us. And, and he describes how this works in several different ways. He says, Live by the Spirit. That is, the Spirit now lives within us, and we can surrender to the Spirit of God, we can yield to the Spirit of God, we can ask the Spirit of God to help us, we can trust Him when circumstances are hard and difficult and express what we're feeling in the midst of those circumstances, and we can reach out when we are in pain or when we are afraid and find that He is there to help us and comfort us. We live by the Spirit, and that is living in relationship with, his, his, with the Spirit in real time. He also talks about the mind of the Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit can help us think better. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand life, and especially to understand the Bible when we read it. So, we learn what God wants, we, and then we ask Him for the strength to do what He wants us to do. We consider the ideas that captivate the world around us, and we examine those ideas in the light of God's ideas, and we discard the evil, and we cling to what is good, and we ask the Spirit for wisdom in real time to know right from wrong, and we search the Spirit's Word, the Bible, for knowledge about what is right and wrong, and with that knowledge, we ask for the strength to do it. He says the outcome of this is life and peace. That is, as we live by the Spirit, we experience God's life within us, and we experience God's character within us transforming us. Though this world is full of tumult and, and the tumult can trouble us deeply, we look to the God who has cleared us from guilt and we see His peace We see His firmness, we trust Him, and we receive in ourselves the qualities, His qualities, of life and of peace. We saw in verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The life in the flesh leads to displeasure from God, but the life in the Spirit leads to pleasing God. We can do what God asks We do what God asks, and we sense the smile of our Father upon us when we do what He asks. Living in the Spirit brings us into a new place of freedom in which we experience God's pleasure in our obedience. Living in the flesh does not lead to peace with God. Living in the Spirit leads to peace with God. Our lives are not divided, and we find that we are both uncondemned and obedient, and it can be joy upon joy upon joy. Just as the Father looked upon Jesus and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, so our Father can look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we feel the warmth of His smile within our hearts. Going back to me paying off your debt, right, if I paid off your debt and then I gave you a great paying job that you enjoyed so that you would remain out of debt in the future, how much more grateful would you be? Not only have I handled your debt, but now I've given you a better way of life. you would feel greater freedom knowing that you are both free from debt in the future as well as in the past. And God has given us not only freedom from debt through faith in Christ, but a new life in Him through walking in the Spirit. It is a whole new way of life. We understand a way of life. And while being forgiven from our guilt is a once and for all thing that is accomplished by Christ on the cross that we receive by faith in Jesus, walking in the Spirit is different. It's a process. It is a relationship. It is something that is ongoing. It is something that is progressing. It is something that is changing, it is transformative, it is always changing, and it's connected and it springs forward from the finished work of Christ on the cross because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I now have access to this new life in the Spirit and I can become a new person. This is where we grow as Christians. This is where we struggle as Christians. This is where we realize that there's always more to the Christian life. If life in the Spirit is life and peace, then there is more life and peace available. And there is more life and peace to come for you and I as we walk with our God through the Spirit. Now, in our Western world, sometimes personal growth or spiritual growth, is kind of really, really closely linked to academic growth and professional growth. Many people today view growth as what we are learning or what we are doing professionally. And this perspective has sort of bled over into the church as well. So sometimes we tend to think of Christian growth as what we are learning. So we go to Bible study and we go to Bible college and we can go to seminary because there we will learn about God so that we will grow in God. But here's what I found. I can understand and learn a great deal about God and that that understanding and that learning isn't bad, it's good. But my relationship with God and my obedience to God don't match what I know." So what this tells us is that maturity as a Christian isn't necessarily knowing more about God. It is life in the Spirit, not life in school. It is God in our lives as we're living our lives together and in the world. Likewise, our culture often views professional skill as personal growth. Growth is when I advance my career, and this way of thinking bleeds over into the church when we think of professional Christians and amateur Christians, clergy and laity. Maybe you've heard those terms pastors and missionaries and Christian workers are professional Christians, and and then there's the rest of us, and these are the really mature ones. And and then some… maybe you're a leader in the church, but you're not a professional, like you're an officer or a teacher or a ministry leader, and these are the mature Christians in the church. And this is the perspective that views Christian maturity in connection to the role that you fulfill in the church. But Christianity is not a job that you hold in the church or in the world. It is godly character marked by willful, joyful obedience to Christ. And we grow when our relationship with God is deep and thriving so that our actions become the actions of God and our love becomes the love of God. Life in the Spirit is not simply what we know, and it's not what we do. It is who we are as it expresses ourselves and how we live. And this is the process of growth in relationship to God, the Holy Spirit. This is the shape of the new life as Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. So, here's what we've said thus far. Christianity is a new life. We break with the life of the flesh. We trust in Jesus that He took our sin upon Himself on the cross and bore it away so that we could be free from guilt and condemnation. And now we live by the Spirit with a newfound spiritual energy that comes from a brand new relationship with God. We live out of the Spirit And we find life and peace in yielded obedience to Christ. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that there is in your seat in front of you a little card. I've got one here somewhere, unless I took it out, and then I don't have one here. Oh, I do have one here. It looks like this. It's called the Let's Connect card. See that? There's also one on our website. just wanted to prove that I had it. And you can use this to communicate with me, whether you're a first-time guest, a second-time guest, or an all-the-time guest, and this is how I would like to challenge you to communicate this week. Which of these areas of the new life would you like us to pray for you most about? Do you struggle with the flesh? Is that where your battle lies? Do you need to trust Christ, that is, give up your morality, your immorality, your religion or your irreligion, and turn to the only one who can give you freedom from condemnation? Or three, do you need to live in the Spirit? Not just be a professional Christian or a smart Christian, but be one who walks in relationship with God. Do you struggle with the flesh, do you need to trust Christ, trust Jesus, or do you need, to, you need God's grace to live in the Spirit. Put that down. If you drop that in the plate, we will pray for you. We will pray for you with regard to that. You see, the whole point of this beautiful, complex, and wonderful way of life is that God is for us, He knows about the struggle of our flesh. He provided Jesus to take away our guilt, and He gives us His Spirit with ever-increasing measures of life and peace. God is for us. He is not against us. He doesn't just say, do the right thing and fold His arms and glare down from heaven while we flail around with our own weaknesses. He is for us. He is for us in the cross. He is for us through the Spirit. And as I've been approaching this new year, I've been realizing that I want more. I want more in my relationship with God. And I've also been seeing that God has more to give. So that makes me want even more. And it's part of the reason why we're offering the the First Love Taste and See event, so that you can come and experience more of God's love in your life. I can't wait to be there again. Please, if you have the time, sign up for that. You will benefit from that. And I'm so excited about the men's growth groups starting up again and also the new women's growth groups starting up. These are ways, not, they're not like, you know, they're not fire from heaven, but they're ways that we can experience the grace of God in community because every single person who comes and shares has experience, strength, and hope that everyone else can benefit from who is there. So I will hope that you will take advantage of these opportunities to grow as we continue to think in the new year about how God is for us.